Blog Talk Radio. The following program is intended for mature audiences. Topics. 
so this week we have it kind of broken down into four different segments. In the first segment, we're going to talk about something that happened a couple weeks back. Um, the fight itself happened several weeks ago, but uh, just about two and a half weeks ago, uh, UFC heavyweight champ John Bones Jones tested positive uh, at UFC two, four, two, uh, was it 200, 214? Was that the one, Mike? Uh, 213, I think. 213, okay, whichever one it was. He tested positive. Um, Cormier was his opponent. Uh, he won the fight, but now he's being stripped of the title. And uh, I guess Cormier is the, the champ now. And this is not John Bones Jones' uh, first suspension for performance enhancers, is it, Michael? Uh, no. Unfortunately, he got he was suspended previously for performance-enhancing drugs and also previously for sort of like the Zeke Elliott thing where it's just like outside conduct, you know, that makes the organization look bad, basically. He acted the fool and got suspended for that as well. So basically this fight that he had with Cormier was his first fight after his uh, suspension for PEDs, right? Yeah. Yeah. He had, he had actually had two years off because he was, uh, so he was two years, he had the one year suspension and then, when he was going to come back and fight Cormier at UFC 200, that's when he got suspended again for this previous year hiatus. And now, so he had, you know, it's just like, I guess I don't want to be an apologist. I'm a Jones fan. So it's hard to be um, subjective on the subject. Basically it's hard to, hard to see it from, you know, an unbiased viewpoint, I guess, it, because I want him to not be guilty, you know, Right, um, but you know, you get to the point where it's a suspension of belief when you, you eventually you're just lying to yourself to not think he's guilty. It it's just I struggle to believe that he could have all these clean tests and then test positive the last day. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Right, because um, they test those know. guys several times leading up to the fight. Right, right, like repeatedly, and especially a guy who. It has a history of it. You know that the random tests come more frequently for somebody who they have a reason to suspect. Right. So is that you or is that Steve? No, that was me. <laughs> okay. All right. So you're you're making the big mess. Because right, we we didn't know if you were there or what. So your thoughts on, <laughs> no, on John Bones? You can hear me. All right. Okay. Yeah. No, I can hear you now. Can hear you now. Um. Uh. Your thoughts on the John Bones Jones uh, PED and what's going on with him? And I mean. Because my question is, I guess, is he just seems like such a superior fighter that I don't know why he has to go and, and do this. But maybe now it's, you know, uh, several of these suspensions, you think maybe he isn't as good a fighter without the performance enhancers. Well, I still think he is. I mean, you know, it's without a doubt is his record, you know, speaks for itself. However, I mean, it's just I, I don't know what to say about the guy. It's, you know, uh just a lot of poor choices. I guess, you know, it's maybe just padding his WWE resume. Mm. That's what, well, I mean, that's where he'll because, end up. He'll end up there. <laughs> well, I mean, that's where Lesnar went because, well, I mean, you think about this. Lesnar had the same kind of issues with PEDs, and he's like, screw it. I'll just go to WWE, make the same or more money, and not actually get hurt. But I don't know that Bones Jones, yeah. I mean, I don't know that Bones Jones has the, I don't know, personality to be a WWE fighter, I guess, is the best way to put it. 
oh, who knows? I mean, it's a lot of acting. I, I just here's the thing. I like MMA a lot, and Jones is just a spectacularly entertaining fighter to watch. And it sucks to be as a fan to get stripped of watching this dude's greatness because of his stupid decision making. It's just like. <laughs> I want to watch this guy fight, but I can't because he's an idiot. It sucks. Right. Well, and I guess that kind of leads me on to into my next point. Is like, it's like, how much do you really even care, Mike, as an MMA fan, if guys are using PEDs in MMA? I've you you've heard me say this about every sport. I could care less whether anybody uses steroids. I've always felt this way. Like. Right. So, the best possible example to me is the Tour de France. Like, you can't convince me that those dudes aren't all doping. They are all the elites are doping in that sport. And uh, they can't, point. like, let's, let's crucify this guy because we caught him. And it's like, you all just didn't get caught. You did the same shit this guy did. He just happened to not have the fucking blood transfusion or whatever that day and didn't get caught. But, like, they use superior scientific and medical techniques to avoid getting, getting caught with this stuff and are always trying to develop new drugs that aren't on the testing radar and stuff. And right. people still watch the tour and they know that shit's going on and they celebrated Lance Armstrong and everybody knew he was doping the whole time. And then when they find out that he gets caught for real, it's like, oh, what, what an awful person. Like, right. you, people were delusional for the last seven years. I, well, I think part of with Lance Armstrong and why people thought he was such an awful person is because he so many times looked into that camera and he lied to people. And then when he did get a positive drug test, he tried, a la Ryan Braun, to crucify the guy who did the test. Like, he basically tried to discredit that dude so harsh and so hard that, I mean, it just makes Lance Armstrong an asshole. I'm sorry, Lance Armstrong is an asshole. Okay, you did it. You got caught. Own up to it. Don't try to destroy someone who's making way less money than you are uh, just because he's trying to do his job and do it right. Um, but to your point, too, in, in terms of the Tour de France, have you ever sat down and just think about what they're asking these people to do to their body? Now, clearly, they, they are willingly do it, doing it. But what you have to do to your body to compete in the Tour de France, like, you have a day where it's you can't 50 miles straight that. uphill, all day long, straight up a mountain. And, ride, and not, not like right. ride it slow, like faster than any human can ride a bike. It's just crazy. It's, it's crazy. Right. That, that is, of course they're doping. Look at what they're doing. And, and then so they're able I've to recover. Baseball too. Like with baseball, I grew up in the steroid era of baseball. You knew Mark McGuire was doing steroids. Like you knew, you saw what Mark McGuire looked like when he was a kid, and you saw what Mark McGuire looked like as an adult. Like clearly, he was doing steroids. Same thing with Barry Bonds. I was always a huge fan of both those guys. And look, I knew they were doing it. I knew everybody else was doing it, and I didn't care. To me, it's a level playing field. And if the guys had the greater wherewithal to not do it and still be competitive, then God bless them and their talents. But I never looked at it and was like, and had that same like hatred for guys that a lot of people seem to have, or they just want to witch hunt them and drag them down. To me, it was like it was obvious you were doing it, and I'm not going to be delusional and then be you know fake mad at you afterwards when I find out you were really doing something I already knew you were doing the whole time. 
Right. When you, when your when your cap size goes from seven to eight and a quarter uh, in two years, that's 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 a pretty good sign that you might have used a couple things that might not be entirely legal. But I'll say I'll say this too, because this is kind of also leading to the same point that I'm trying to make here is that baseball is the one sport that gets absolutely crucified for guys using. So at least it was that way a while ago. Now baseball has not had as many PED. Uh, suspensions, uh, positive tests, that sort of thing. I think part of that has to do with how punitive the the actual suspensions are, and part of it also has to do with probably guys are just better at it now. Does that make sense, Steve? Uh, yeah. Well, my take on it is, I guess, you know, for, for me, I mean, um, you know, I followed Bonds, I mean, during that, I mean, that the – those, that period that he was just absolutely lights out. I mean, the without a doubt, the best hitter in baseball, the most feared hitter in baseball. So, oh. I mean, the you know the PD allegations. I mean, just kind of like ah, well, you know, it's like <laughs> I wasn't right. really bothered by it. I mean, it's well, like, you know, are you not? You could say back and forth. I mean, it's like you know he's cheating, they're cheating, whatever it is. But I mean, that was an entire era. Right. You tell me, John Rocker right. wasn't on steroids. <laughs> Amongst other, <laughs> Amongst other things. Amongst other things. Hey, you know, how, how dominant was Barry Bonds? Dude, I, I swear to God, I saw a manager walk him with the bases loaded. He walked in a run rather than pitch to Barry Bonds. Dude, that was the like, in In my lifetime of watching baseball, that couple seasons of Bonds' utter greatness – was probably the coolest thing I've ever seen as a baseball fan where everyone was scared to pitch to him in every situation and he would get nothing to hit, nothing. They wouldn't pitch anywhere near the strike zone. And if they made even an iota of a mistake, he would hit it out of the park. It was so park it. He hit like he would 370 with 200 walks. Like, it, yeah, like you could not strike the guy out and he it's you're throwing nothing into the strike zone and he finds a way to hit 70 plus home runs with a 370 average like that was the best season i've ever seen and that guy's not going to the hall of fame so there you go uh but but kind of okay so that's baseball but then there's football and football has had as many or more ped suspensions and positive tests and all that stuff and nobody gives a shit Nobody cares. You know what I was going to say, Tom? You were definitely right when you on the right track, though. Like, baseball stopped giving lip service to being mad about steroids and did something about it. Like, right. they attacked the problem with, with punitive, with serious repercussions. I mean, guys are out of the game, you know. Right. Guys are gone for a year. Like, they don't mess around. There's no, like, ah, we'll let you slide on this one. It's like, no, three strikes, you're out policy. So, so recently, Brian Cushing of the Houston Texans linebacker, excellent football player. I mean, super good football player, tested positive again for PEDs. This is his, I believe, second positive drug, uh, drug test uh, for performance enhancers. So I kind of took me into the thing where – because so he's suspended for 10 games. And I'm like, well, what's the process here? You know, because, you know, football, despite – as bad as they are at things, they do have an actually well-written out process on what PEDs, uh, what happens when you test positive. So uh, 
this one's it's it's divided into steps. So this is actually written in 2015 by a Danny Bostic of the BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, which is an SB Nation blog about the Pittsburgh Steelers. This was uh, after Martavis Bryant had been suspended for uh, marijuana, and so she was kind of delineating between that kind of suspension and the suspension for PEDs. So this is basically how the schedule works. You you test positive for a PED. So if you test positive for a diuretic or a masking agent, that's a two, two game suspension. If you test positive for anabolic agents or stimulants, that's a four game suspension. And if you are so awesome that you test, test positive for both, you get a six game suspension. Makes sense. Two plus four is six. Now, Step two is for the second offense. Okay, so the sec- this is where Brian Cushing is now. That consequence uh, is a 10-game suspension that is carried over between seasons if there are not enough games in the current season for a player to serve his full suspension. Then, if Brian Cushing were to subsequently test positive again, so this is where we haven't gotten with anybody yet. This is step three. Step three is for players who think they can, they can keep getting away with cheating and violate the policy for a third time. Players who haven't learned their lesson in step one or two are suspended for two seasons. Two. That, for most people, effectively will end your football career. I mean, you haven't played football for two years. You're probably done. So that's where we're at with – PEDs in football. Now, no one has ever gotten to the point where it's, a, at least not that I know of, where they've tested positive for the third time and been uh, suspended for two seasons. I actually thought, before I looked this up, that it was banned for, that you were just banned. But in all intent, for all intents and purposes, a two-season ban is going to end most people's football career. I mean, that seems right, right? Yeah. You, you, it'd be almost impossible to keep yourself in the type of physical shape that you need to be in and mental everything and just be around the game and live and breathe the game for two years to not do that and come back would be super difficult. Right. And if you're suspended for two seasons, the team that you're currently on is going to cut you because they're not going to keep you around for two years waiting for you to come back. And now you're going to have to get another team to take a chance on you to give you a roster spot in training camp or whatever, hoping that you might still have something in the tank. Now you might get a, a shot in training camp, but I like, but like Mike said, the, the chances of you actually being in football shape are not probably not very good. Steve, any thoughts <laughs> on Cushing? Uh, well, just any of that, yeah, any of that, yeah. <laughs> I, I I just suspect there's a, there's a whole lot of other people that are on PEDs in the NFL. I mean, there's probably I don't disagree a lot with that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I, um, I guess uh, I think that the first time he got caught was it just like right after his defensive rookie of the year? Uh, you know. Um, no, it wasn't. Season. It was before he was. I think his first positive <laughs> PED test was before. Like he was suspended during that season, and then they gave him defensive rookie of the year anyway. If I'm not mistaken. So we had a discussion about how I guess you know it's in and. <laughs> It's probably just that the one sport is baseball where it's just an absolute, I mean, it's absolute taboo. Every other sport, I mean, they're, you know, it's kind of sort of lenient. I mean, it's just, you know, you get caught, you get suspended, you know, they put you in a program, you're back. And it's just, I mean, you're okay until you get caught the next time. Right. 
guys that really have been hated for it are the guys who fight it. Like all these guys, like Andy Pettit and Roger Clemens are a great example. Andy Pettit basically just went, "Yep, I did it. Took my punishment. I'm sorry. You know, won't happen again." Clemens fights it tooth and nail like it never happened. And so, you know, Andy Pettit, no one even really remembers that he did it. Roger Clemens, it like redefined his whole career. I guess with, I mean, with 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 baseball, they just, I mean, you're put on a list. There's an actual, I mean, list, a blacklist. Once I guess you know, once you're even associated with the uh, with PEDs, yeah, I don't think anybody else keeps a list. All right, so here's what happened. Okay. You said like in the NFL, you get four games, and then game five you come back, all your teammates slap you on the back, and you get back to playing football, and everyone acts like it never happened. And then if you get caught again, you get a few more games, and the same thing happens again. All right, so here's what happened with Cushing when he won Defensive Rookie of the Year for the 2009 season. Okay, so he won the award. It came out that he had tested positive for PEDs. So he was stripped of the award, and they did a revote. They revoted for the award, and he won it again. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they don't give a shit. I don't think, I mean, it's just, you know, uh, <laughs> with, um, you know, with any other sport but baseball, it seems like, I mean, you know, you're, you're play on the field or if your team is winning, I mean, it just, you know, it just brings out the forgiveness in people, you know, whether in the sport or, I mean, fans, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, they keep, if they can perform well or the team wins, they're forgiven. Not right. Well, certainly the yeah the fans of that team for certain. Well, oh, trust me, Brewers fans are yeah. Ryan Braun's fine as long as he's hitting home runs. I don't give a shit. He's on my team. But uh, fans, the fan of the team that the guy's on, they certainly do not care. Yeah, do more steroids. Be awesomer. Let's win. To a degree, I mean, that's how I feel about it. I guess I don't know. Um, so anyway, so yeah, so I, I whatever. Just how long is the suspension? Or don't get caught, for God's sake. Um, but yeah. Well, let's, get, let's get back. Let's get back to Bonds real quick before we move on. Uh, you, oh yeah, sure. You know, I mean, did you? I mean, who would be a who? Who would be the closest to? I guess being as feared of a hitter. I mean, since since Barry Bonds. Like you maybe, maybe seen. Maybe, you maybe may be first half Aaron Judge. Or you see maybe like David Ortiz for that you know that one playoff series where it's just like I mean uh-huh. he you know he batted like seven hundred, or you see yeah, like that, maybe that for 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 maybe a season, or part of a season Miggy, or, or Manny Ramirez. Bonds did it for like fucking three or four seasons in a row. I think I think Ramirez at some point was was kind of like that, but it's never to the level that Barry Bonds. I don't think any of those guys. I mean, literally, I would if if Barry. I drove okay. I drove four and a half hours to Montreal to see Barry Bonds play instead of spending time with my mother on Mother's Day. Okay, and get and the <laughs> son of a bitch didn't play that day. So angry about it. son of a yeah, bitch. He, he was he. He was with his mom. 
No, he wasn't. He was didn't even bring his big fucking bulbous head out of the dugout for God's sake. Was so angry. Didn't even wave to the goddamn crowd. What a dick. What a dick. Oh. I I drove up and subjected myself to a Montreal Expos San Francisco Giants game that did not include Barry Lamar Bond. Gross. It was awful. I hated it. So angry. <laughs> Luckily, I was in Montreal, so there was lots of other awesome stuff to do after the game. Nice. I got drunk. It was great. All right. So with that, uh, we're going to take a break. It is time for our first break here on Sports and Beer with Friends. So we played at the top of the hour our theme song, Public Enemies. Welcome to the Terror Dome. So we do a bunch of really awesome hip-hop songs. These are all huge, uh, huge songs in the world of hip-hop. The next one's going to be by uh, the Beastie Boys. It's off their Paul, Paul's Boutique album. It is a song called Hey Ladies. All right, we'll see you guys after the break right here on Sports and Beer with Friends.
and they still have a nine-game lead against over an Arizona team that's, I mean, right there in the playoff race. I do think that I'd rather be Cleveland right now because for oh, a couple of for reasons. for sure. Obviously, you'd rather have the momentum at this part of the year than when the Dodgers had it. And secondly, Cleveland really, they have a mission after what happened last year. You know, that, that town yep. has been so dry for sports wins, and the Indians particularly have been just okay. cursed with some of, you know, some of the years where they got so close and then couldn't finish the thing. And then last year yeah. got so, so close, got to game seven and couldn't finish the thing. And now, you know, here they are kicking butt and taking names right at the right time. So it's kind of cool. Well, they well I think got, there is. They got seven games left in the regular season. Uh, yeah, seven games it is. They're 97 and 58. Five. Yeah, they're they're still a game back of Los Angeles. They've won, they have won 28 of their last 30 games. Did that go back to controlling home field in the World Series? <clears throat> uh, yeah, your best record gets you home field advantage now. Now, it didn't used to. Okay, I want to make this very clear because people were very upset about the All-Star game being the thing that, that decided home field advantage. It's not like before that happened. It, yeah, it was just it was just alternate. It would be one, one year it was the American League, the next year it was the National League. And it didn't have any rhyme or reason to to anything other than that last year was the American League, so this year it's the National League. So I don't know if that's not even better, but I, I it's Here's hard my to take on it. I guess you know with uh, Cleveland, I mean they're they are significantly better on the road right. than at home, which is crazy. That's on the crazy. home side, if, if you if you're you know if you're thinking that it's Probably going to be L.A. and Cleveland. I mean, L.A. is they're significantly worse on the road than at home. Yeah, I think it's like games. For the Dodgers would be a big deal. Yeah, yeah home it'll, it'll, it's the... definitely a big deal. But if you're, play, if you're up against Cleveland, who is very comfortable playing on the road, who cares? Cleveland is so good top to bottom, their rotation, their lineup. I mean, they are just really, really good. They're a scary good baseball team. Of course, I want to to temper that with a month ago, we were sitting here talking about how the Dodgers were scary good, and they were so good from top to bottom and had few weaknesses, and now look at them. They can't get out of their own goddamn way. Well, Houston's also really good too and I wouldn't sleep on them especially with what happened to their city this year um, right having a little extra in the tank you know come playoff time too and you know right. they're an excellent team with some and great talent top to bottom as well and, uh, and Boston's Houston, really good Houston is another one that I mean you know being on the road doesn't really you know it's uh, they they play equally as good on the road you know, right. um, Boston, Boston is pretty much the same way. I mean, they, you know, it's, uh, their record is pretty much split. Their wins are pretty much split as far as, you know, uh, you know, home and road. So. Yeah. The Yankees do much better at home. They're also a pretty good baseball team. The Cubs have come around. They're a lot better now than they were. Um, like I said, the Dodgers are, are kind of faltering. The Diamondbacks are pretty dangerous. So Cleveland at 28 and two over the last 30, obviously the hottest team in baseball, but a lot of these teams, save for maybe the Dodgers that are heading towards the postseason are also 
really hot at this time. Like, if you look at it, Chicago's won la- nine of their last 11. Houston, eight of their last nine. Boston, 14 of their last 17. New York, 11 of their last 14. There's a lot of these teams that are peaking, and I, I really feel like this has the potential to be one of the better postseasons in a while because these teams are all hot. No one's backing in other than maybe the Dodgers. But at the end of the day, I still feel like they're the class of the National League, even though they're not playing particularly well right this very minute. Hey, how about this for baseball? Daniel Murphy beat the Mets today on a 10th inning home run. <laughs> Did you slit your wrists or no? I, I already healed from the first time. Jesus Christ. So in case you don't know, Mike's a Mets fan. Daniel Murphy is like the epitome of how Mike feels about his front office. Letting Daniel Murphy walk just tells you everything you need to know about the Mets and how they do business. They let him go because he was going to cost too much money. And basically you couldn't pay him enough this year to make it worth, to make it too much money. Is that, is that a fair assessment? He was spectacular for them. It's not like he didn't earn it. It's not, it's not right. like he left the Mets and got good. He was awesome, and he was even better in the postseason. And then, you know, <laughs> let the Nationals have him. <laughs> I mean, do you feel like – At all. But, hey, they're still paying Bobby Bonilla, so there's that. Well, that's good. You know what's pretty pretty special about the Mets? I mean, really, their starting pitching is awesome. DeGrom is 15-9 and nine this year in a season when his team's 66-88. and 88. A really bad, they're a bad baseball team. And yep. their lone bright spot, Michael Conforto, basically had his shoulder explode at the plate the other a couple of weeks ago. That was fun. That was, oh man, not nice to Gruesome. Watch. It was not. It was not. That was horrible. Um, so that's, that's basically the Mets. Um, conversely, I'm a Yankees fan, and we weren't supposed to be competitive this year, and look at us. We clinched a playoff spot today. Yay, Aaron Judge. Yay. So, yeah, Yanks are in, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah, they're in as of now. They, are, they clinched at least yeah. a wild card spot. They can still win the division, although they're four games back with seven to play, So, and they don't play Boston again. Boston does have a couple tough games coming up, but it, I don't know. I, it just doesn't seem likely. Uh, also, Mr. Aaron Judge, uh, yesterday, uh, which would be Friday, the whatever day that was, uh, what's the day, the 23rd, so Friday the 22nd, hit his 46th home run on the season. Nice. He's so John Carlos Stanton, but he's had a nice year. Well, I mean, he's also 24. And he's about, and if he hits four more home runs in the next seven games, he breaks the single season rookie home run record. Said by a guy that was on PEDs when he did it. <laughs> right, Mark McGuire. <laughs> and so the other day I'm thinking about that. Boy, if he hits this many home runs, he's going he's gonna to break the single season rookie home run record. And then I thought to myself, is that stupid to say it that way? Is there anything other than a single season rookie home run record? Because you're, I mean, you can't be rookie for multiple seasons, right? <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know that that's not this, a stupid way to say it, but that's how it's said. Steve, what are you drinking? <laughs> I'm drinking a Coke. That's, oh, God damn it. You better put some rum in that thing. I'm having Sam Adams Oktoberfest. What, what about you, Mike? What are you drinking? Fire Rock. 
Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, yes, fire, fire rock. That's awesome. All right, guys, take over. I got a cough. So, you know, my, my well, Braves my Braves did something pretty obvious. Probably the best uh, front office move that they've made this year. They signed Kurt Suzuki to an extension. One year, $3.5 million. And the guy's worth like three times that to the team. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's still catching for them, right? He's not like their manager yet. Well, he's. I mean, technically, he's their backup catcher to Flowers. Right. Yeah. So but... you know, so now there's this whole thing with uh, you know guys. It's well, you know, so uh, like, are they going to trade Flowers now? So it's like, no, it's a it's a one year gig. This guy is the glue Whoa. of their clubhouse. Why would you trade Flowers? Look, they're going to exercise the their option on Flowers for next season. Right, you wouldn't trade Flowers. First of all, Flowers is a young catcher, and Kurt Suzuki is there to teach people how to be a professional baseball player. That's what they're paying him for. Not to really catch a lot of games, but to teach other uh, these kids how to be a pro. Because you know why? Because Kurt Suzuki's a pro, and he knows how to be a pro. He knows how to be a pro, and he's, I mean, just off-field. I mean, the guy is just, I mean, he's, he's the real deal. He's, you know, yeah. uh, genuine. He's, I mean, he's, he's just, I mean, he's there to teach people how to be good people. <laughs> he's just, right. just he's to a be class a guy. He's an absolutely class, class guy. Yeah. Absolutely. And he's there to teach the young kids, hey, don't be a dickhead. Don't be mean to the grounds people. Don't, uh, you know, don't shit on the clubhouse attendants. Uh, don't go out and punch your girlfriend. Whatever it is, he's there to do that. That's what he's there to do. Yeah, and I mean, and on the flip side, I mean, he's just uh, he's on the field, and especially behind the, I mean, uh, at the plate, I think he's he's exceeded his uh, his season best for home runs. I think he has like yeah. eighteen or nineteen now. <laughs> and that and he hasn't he hasn't played as a, a part time player, <laughs> right? And so and and now you know Bartolo Colon started the year with them, and now he's gone. And R. A. Dickey sounds like he's going to retire. I know everyone's all broken up. Uh, but so he's going to be gone. <laughs> I mean, get, get ready, get, get ready. Cooperstown. Here comes R.A. Dickey and his elbow that basically has a tendon in it. Uh, but anyway, so <laughs> that likely, awesome. oh, that's the best. I'll read that again. I'm going to bring that up again, uh, but just, just say this next year, the Braves and Jaime Garcia is gone. They're likely to have a very young pitching staff next year. And so yeah. a guy like Kurt Suzuki is going to be, you know, pretty damn valuable to them. Just in bringing very young valuable. pitchers along, even if he's not catching every day, just being in the room with those guys, being in meetings with those guys. So just to, so if you've never heard me read this before, this is this is a scout. I, I, it's a scouting report that was found. It's on SBNation.com. It's from a Phillies professional scout. And so here it goes. Dickey, Robert Allen, parentheses R.A., pitcher, right, six foot one, one eighty-five. Uh, da, 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 goes on. Okay, so comments. So you had me drive all the way out to Knoxville, and when I get here, the guy I'm scouting is a pitcher who is literally missing a ligament in his pitching arm. Is this a joke? Are you all back in Philadelphia laughing at me? I have shit to do. I see my kids two weekends every month, and I passed up my turn for this. 
Let me save you some time and get my other scouting reports in advance. Last name Wellington. First, no thumb. No thumbs Wellington has a big, strong frame, but he's unlikely to stick at shortstop because his lack of thumbs makes it difficult for him to field and throw. He has strong, powerful legs, but his potential as a hitter is limited because he lacks the thumbs necessary to grip a baseball bat. McElroy, Bobby, comma, blinks. Blinks McElroy has poor command, mostly because he lost his eyesight when he stared at the sun for a full 30 minutes while he was walking a, watching a solar eclipse on methamphetamines. He has never pitched before, nor has he ever played organized baseball. He still does a lot of drugs. Gompers. Gompers is a basset hound, and he can't play baseball. I figured I would scout him anyway because you had me scout a pitcher without a ligament in his arm. If you ever need a pinch hitter who can hump a catcher's shin guard and distract him, this could be an 80% prospect. Fun times. I had to Fun time. myself because I was laughing so hard I was crying <laughs> over here. All right. Also in this is a is a, uh, a scouting report of Mike Trout, pre-draft notes on Mike Trout. Uh, and it's basically a picture of the pre-draft notes. Uh, and it's it's there's some rips on it. And there's a post-it note stuck to it. And it says, Mark, can you send over another copy? The pages of this got stuck together somehow. Tony. <laughs> Fair to say they thought Mike Trout was a good prospect. <laughs> the Hunter Pence was his, his gold, too, but I'm not going to go that far. We're talking about other, other things right now. So I'm excited for the postseason. Are you guys excited for the baseball postseason this year? Even though Mike – see, Mike is – his team, the Mets, they've been good incrementally, but Mike is not one of those guys that's like, ah, my team's not in and I'm not watching. He's not that guy at all. He watches. Am I wrong? I'm not wrong, right? No, you're right. right. I, okay. I mean, I don't just give up on the sport. I'm, I'll be honest. I mean, I'm more engaged when my team's good. Well, uh, of course you are. But particularly around – so with baseball, I really enjoy it at the beginning when it first starts out because there's always the hope that the Mets won't suck this year, which is usually over by, like, May. And then <laughs> right around the all-star break, I get engaged in baseball again because the all-star game is awesome, and I really enjoy that, that time of the year with baseball. Plus, it's usually the way it falls between basketball and football. It kind of becomes the interesting thing. And then I get re-engaged at playoff time. That's a typical baseball season when the Mets aren't good. If they're good, sort of stay engaged throughout. Okay, very, that's fair. I mean, and, and I think that's true of a lot of, a lot of people, but I think there's a, certainly a, a fair amount of fans who, if their team is no good – they don't care. Now, Steve, on the other hand, is a little bit different than you, is he is dialed into the Braves regardless of how bad they are, and he knows what's going on in the farm system. Uh, he knows who, you know, who the good young prospects are, and he's just dialed in. And I, I am not that way with the Yankees when they're not that good. I, like, I know who the prospects are, but I'm not paying attention day to day only because if the Yankees aren't very good, which doesn't happen very often, I'll admit, I'm not going to sit here and go, oh, the Yankees are no good. Um, by that, by the time it gets past the All Star break, uh, if they're if they're not going to be competitive or doesn't look like they're going to make the postseason, I'm kind of switching gears and I'm looking at training camps and in, in football, which I'm going to do anyway. But I, I just if I start looking at the training camps and the Yankees aren't very good, I kind of lose a lot of interest in what baseball is doing. But I'm like you, Mike. I pick it back up in September and go, wow, this is what's happening. And then I get right back and and get geared up for the postseason. Now this year, I didn't lose interest at all because the Yankees are pretty good. But for me, I got I got to admit, with the Braves, I mean, they were so good during that 14-15 season stretch that, I mean, after about the, maybe the first five seasons of that stretch, I was like, well, you know, I, I wouldn't really, 
pay attention to them until the postseason. Yeah. Because they were almost a lock every year to make it. And the division they were in at that time was so bad. I mean, there was a lot of really bad Phillies teams from year to year. The Marlins were eh most of the time. The Spos were kind of eh a lot of the time. And the Mets were good occasionally. Towards the end of Atlanta's run, the Mets were – that's when they had like um, – who did they have at that time? Uh, that was when they had Robin Ventura and uh, – oh, who, who was the uh, – Todd um, – shoot uh, – but they had Piazza, and they had Benny Agbayani, Edgardo Alfonso. Who is the Todd that played first base for them? White guy. That Todd oh Zeal. No. Yes, that's no. exactly who I was thinking of. Yes. <laughs> Todd Zeal. Thank you. It wasn't Keith Hernandez. Been... No, it was, no. He's, well, A, he's not yeah. white. Uh, B... <laughs> That was the 80s. <laughs> I would have known Keith Hernandez. Was Keith it Hernandez should be in, no, it wasn't Ray Keith Hernandez should be in the Hall of Fame, for God's sake. For his mustache? Is it, yeah, for, for well, for, for Seinfeld, for his ability to pay, play baseball, he was really good. He was an MVP, for God's sake. He probably was decent uh, at cutting a line of coke, too. I'm just guessing. That's a guess. I mean, he hung out with Daryl and Doc. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be able to hang, boy. Got to be able to hang. Huh? What? All right. So Keith Hernandez is Keith, if Keith Hernandez is, happens to hear this, I'm just going to say this is a comedy show. Uh, just so you know. So please don't sue us because we don't have any money. <laughs> and your beard is weird. <laughs> Are those the worst commercials ever? Clyde Frazier, no. they're not. Do you, do you hate those commercials? Like, I really hated it when it was Keith Hernandez and Clyde Frazier in the bushes for Just for Men, and they're like, they're like doing commentary on Emmett Smith's beard. The worst. They're bad, but worst commercial ever. There's got to be worse ones. Like, you, you know, that's a bold statement. It's pretty bad. Okay, so celebrity endorsement commercials. Are there worse? Like, like Shaq does these general, the general insurance commercials, and they're not horrible. But they're only they're not bad. horrible because, cause, because Shaq's in them. Right. Cause, so once Shaq's in it, it's not bad anymore. Unless it's Shazam. That's horrible. You got to Google. Shaq did a, like a battle rap against uh, LeVar Ball, and it's awesome. Like I'm sure he destroyed LeVar Ball. He just it, he goes on him for like three minutes just rapping about how much of a douche he is. It's awesome. <laughs> okay, I will definitely Google that shit. Yeah. And if you All right. So you can Google it too because it's funny. Yeah, please. If you're listening to this, go ahead and Google the uh, the Shaq battle rap against LeVar Ball because clearly he's going to crush that dude. Um, all right, uh, and I love Shaq. Shaq's the best. So we were talking Shaq about baseball, though. More so than. All right, so all right, why don't we take a break? We're going to come back. We have two more segments. We are going to discuss uh, the really poor state of offensive line play in the NFL. Why that is. 
Uh, and then at, at, we're going to finish off with something that Mike is uh, probably been thinking about all day. And that's the fact that his beloved Carmelo Anthony was traded away from his New York Knicks to the Oklahoma city thunder. Uh, but we're going to be playing another song here. This is going to be off of Snoop Dogg's doggy style album. Oh yes. It is the one and only tune. Ain't no fun. Mike, what's the second part of that? Just put Michael. Just play the dance. Ain't no fun. What are you doing? What are you doing? All right. Ain't no fun. This is DJ the Dick on the station that slaps you across your fat ass with a fat dick. When I met you last night, baby, before you opened up your gap, I had a respect for your lady, but now I take it all back, cause you gave me all your pussy. Yeah. 
the one and only Snoop Dogg, Snoop Doggy Dogg, and of course featuring Warren G, Nate Dogg, and Corrupt, and you all out there saying romance is dead. Dude, the Nate Dogg part of that song is absolutely spectacular. First of all, Nate Dogg is a genius. His his stuff is so perfect. The late Nate Dogg, big ups to Nate Dogg. His stuff was always so perfect. On every song he ever did, it's so much work that he did with Warren G and Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. Nate Dogg is one of the, I don't know, underrated. I mean, he's, he's not a rapper. He is a singer, and he sings. And his, like, his part on Regulate is amazing. The thing with him is, I don't think if he made a whole album it would be good, but he's so no. good in small dope, like, right. on songs here and there that, you know, he's awesome. For that. Right. And then, of course, Snoop Dogg, we were just talking about Shaq. Snoop Dogg is probably the, the Shaq of rap. Like, it doesn't matter who you are and what you like. Even, I mean, people who would normally be offended by the things that come out of Snoop, they still love Snoop Dogg. Like, he can say whatever he wants, and everyone just still loves him. Right? I mean, did you listen to what he just said? <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're right. Like that whole album's offensive. It's great. He has a show, a regular. He, he used to have a show with Martha Stewart. Did you ever see the he, meme? He the point, go on any TV shows, just stoned out of his mind, and it's just right. expected. Oh, Snoop. <laughs> um, <laughs> did you ever see the meme of him and Martha Stewart cooking? And it talks about how one of these people was indicted and spent a year and a half in prison, and the other one is Snoop Dogg. <laughs> right. <laughs> one of these people is a convicted felon, and the other one is Snoop. <laughs> <laughs> who, beat a, who beat a murder rap, apparently. So that's good. Uh, anyway, so that's, that was fun. I, ain't no fun. If the homies can't have none, and that's true, I guess. At least it used to be back in the day. I, not really. I don't, like, dude, what are you doing? I used to go out with that girl. <laughs> Bro code does not exist in Snoop's head. That doesn't happen. All right, so segment three. So we are heading into the third week of the NFL season. And probably – I would say a lot of us are very, very thankful that this week does not feature a primetime game that has a New York Giants team participating in it. Because that's been really, really bad. Have you guys watched any of the Giants games, either of them? I watched They were both terrible. I mean, I'm not a fan of Eli. I'm not a fan of Eli Manning. You're not a fan of Eli Manning. I don't think Steve's a fan of Eli Manning. No. But that offensive line is going to get that man killed. That is the worst offensive line I've ever seen. Like, their tackles are historically bad. Eric Flowers might as well be a lamppost. He is awful. And you spent a, a top 10 draft pick on that guy just four years ago. And he can't it's, – it's like he's unfixable. And 
I, I don't get it. Um, and then Bobby Hart on the other side is an abject disaster as well. And going into the season, he told somebody in some interview that he viewed himself as the best right tackle in the league. I think he's given up seven sacks already. It's probably not that number, but it's high. He gave up two the first game, and I think he gave up three in the second game. That's why it would be five. I think he's given up five, ta- five sacks in two games. That's horrible. And the problem that it is is it's not limited to the New York Giants. There are a lot of really bad offensive lines throughout the league. The Chargers have a bad offensive line. The Bengals, who used to have a really good offensive line, have a bad offensive line. It is bad. The Cardinals' offensive line is bad. The the 49ers has a bad offensive line. It's awful. What I don't ever remember a time in the NFL when you had so many awful offensive lines. So you don't think that a lot of these, uh, I mean, a lot of these teams must be must be kicking themselves for not pursuing Andrew Whitworth, right? Well, I mean, the the Bengals had him, and they let him fucking walk. What are you doing? Then you see what happened. Like, uh, we we never thought that uh, Andy Dalton was a uh, you know too good of a quarterback when uh, he had a great offensive line, and now Whitworth is uh, is gone. Right. And uh, I mean, he's terrible. Well, you, terrible. Do you, see what, do you see what the Rams are doing? You see what Jared Goff looks like with Whitworth as his left. Right. Table? All of a sudden, the Rams have an offensive now. Right. I, I want to say this. I want to say this about the Rams and what they've done. They've played three games already, and they've scored 40 points twice. Now, they've played two of probably the four worst defenses in the league in those three games. Like the middle game, the one that they lost. Wait, did they lose or they they end up winning? They lost the middle one. Yeah, they lost game two. That's right. That was a better team. They played the Colts in week one and the Niners in week three, and both of those defenses are bad. They are bad. And the Niners almost came back and won. So pump the brakes on, on the Rams are great talk, but the Rams have an offensive line, and Jared Goff, because of it, looks like a quarterback, which he did well, not he last, last year. I mean, uh, the, last, uh, the last game of, uh, that he played last season, he, he got sacked like seven times. Yeah. And he sacked like, I mean, he, he played three games, and he's been sacked three times. I mean, that makes a difference. It does. I mean, it's just, you know, <laughs> you're letting him play because he's upright. <laughs> right. He's not receiving the ball and wondering whether he should just start running for his life now. Well, um, in addition to that, he's, he's gotten a nice running game from Todd Gurley. Because um, of an offensive line. Got- Right. What I'm, yeah, it all really does boil down to that. And so the offensive line's gotten some push. So Gurley's been able to be, a, you know, effective on early downs, get him into a more manageable second and third down situation. He's got Sammy Watkins giving him some production on the outside. You know, he's got some improved weapons around him. And, you know, look, I've said it before and I'll say it again. The expectations of quarterbacks are just too early. Like, if you expect a quarterback to be NFL ready before the second or third year, it's just not fair to them. I, I think they need generally two to three years before they become NFL capable quarterbacks. 
But you, you, you can help that if you have an offensive line that's serviceable. Look, Dak Prescott had a great year last year. He won Rookie of the Year. He did it because he had an offensive line that gave him time, that allowed him to not be rushed, not to have to rush through progressions, not to have to force the ball out before he was comfortable throwing it. That's the reason Dak was so great last year. Make no mistake. They had an awesome running game. He has weapons around him. Their defense was certainly good enough. But if it wasn't for the fact that he had the best offensive line in the league ahead of him, he wouldn't have been as good and he wouldn't have been able to progress as quickly as he did. And now you look around the league. Okay, so this is what I don't get. Okay, there's a bunch of teams that don't understand the basic, I, I, I want to say, it's a very basic thing that I've understood for years. If you have a, a, if you invest in your offensive line, you give your offense a chance to be good every single week they go out there because their quarterback's going to have time. They're going to open holes for the running game. By and large, week in and week out, your team is going to have a chance to win the football game. And there's so many teams that, Say, you know what, I want this wide receiver and that running back and give me this quarterback and I'm going to pay for this guy and pay for that guy and the offensive line now, I'll figure that out. Hello, Seattle don't Seahawks. Don't, don't you think, yeah, Seattle, I mean, don't you think they're hating that, absolutely hating that trade right now that uh, Max, Max Unger for, uh, what's, I can't even remember, it's Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, it's they're hating you got Jimmy Graham. Right. You got Jimmy Graham, but now – Max Unger, who was the anchor of your line, is gone. They don't have Russell O'Krung anymore. They don't have a lot of these guys that they used to have there. And the reason is because they, they invested in other places. They had to invest in their defense, and they had to give money to Russell Wilson. And then it's like, well, well, we'll just skimp on the offensive line. We can, we can make up for that. I'm telling you, you can't. And can. they get the, one of the worst blocking tight ends in the history of the league. It might as well just be a slot receiver because putting him on the line to block is – an atrocity. It's not even so much, to the- so much so that when the Saints tried to franchise tag him, he argued that he wasn't a, a tight end at all. He's a wide receiver. He was correct. But when the Pro Bowl voting comes around, he certainly accepts his invitation as a tight end. Also correct. <laughs> so the other thing, all right, so – You, you got okay. So you either invest in the 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 actual personnel on the line, or you do what the Patriots do. The Patriots don't generally they'll invest in guys to a degree. Sebastian Volmer's, Logan Mankins, these guys. Not, but they're not gonna they're not gonna do it exorbitantly exorbitantly. But what they do is they have arguably the best offensive line coach in the league on their staff. So he takes young guys and progresses them quickly to a point where Tom Brady can have time to throw the ball. Now, also, they have Tom Brady, who is a master of reading defenses and can instruct his line as to what is about to happen to them. Right? Remember, that's, so what they the, that, that's what the Colts did with uh, the protect Peyton. Remember, uh, shoots, what, is, what is the guy's name, the offensive line coach? He's probably the, arguably the, the, the best offensive line coach in the history of the NFL. Hardy Mud. Yes, <laughs> that's what they did. So, so, so you may you, you may you may or may not have just found out that I am an avid offensive line follower because I knew who Mike knew who Steve was talking about. I knew the offensive line coach for the 2004 to 2009 
Indianapolis Colts was Harvey Mudd. <laughs> also, Harry Hynoski is a very good uh, offensive line coach. These guys both sound like offensive line coaches, by the way, just by name. Um, so, so either you have to invest in actual personnel or you have to have a guy that is so good at taking young offensive linemen and turning them into a cohesive offensive line that you can actually protect your quarterback or you're going to end up like Dallas was before they caught the, I mean, you know, before the light switch went on and, you know, meanwhile, they got Tony Romo hurt so often that he just became a broken quarterback. Um, Or you're going to end up like Russell Wilson running for his life all year in Seattle. Now he's going to win them some football games just because he's, he's pretty good at doing it, but against the really good teams, when it comes time in the playoffs, they're not going to be able to get it done like that. Or you're going to be like the Cincinnati Bengals, who people think, wow, they have good personnel. They do, except for in one critical area, the offensive line, where they let two pro bowlers walk in the offseason and didn't replace them with the like. So now you've got an awful football team that can't score points despite the fact that they have Joe Mixon and Jeremy Hill and Giovanni Bernard and A.J. Green and Tyler Eifert. Their, their mediocre quarterback can no longer get them the football. Is that a good way of putting it, Mike? I think you hit the nail on the head. So you've got a lot of mediocre quarterbacks in the league, and – it's easier to invest in a quality offensive line than it is to find a better quarterback a lot of times. So you're definitely right. Uh, you look at it, hey, and you like to pick on Alex Smith, so take a team like Kansas City. You know, they've good got similar – Right, good offensive line. It allows those running backs to get out there and make easy uh, down and distance situations, and Alex Smith converts everything when he's, when he's got down and distance in his favor. Uh, you know, you just can't put him in – second and 15 because he doesn't know what to do with that, you know? Uh, right. We're, and there's also fair with the offensive line. I've said this before on the show. There's a difference between a guy like Russell Wilson and a guy like Tom Brady in that Tom Brady gets rid of the ball immediately and Russell Wilson stands back there and runs around and tries to use his legs to make plays a lot of times. And so he doesn't help his offensive line either. As much as they're not helping him – his style of quarterback play makes his offensive line look even worse than it actually is. And Brady's probably makes him look, not only does Brady's play make his offensive line look good, but their commitment to running the football makes the offensive line look good as well. Well, and not just running the football, but they, they do a running game. That's, they don't do a traditional running game for the most part, especially when they don't have LeGarrette Blunt like they don't have this year. They do more, they, they will run it but they also do a lot of swing passes and screen passes and draws and to keep the defense off balance. They do a lot of things scheme-wise to help their offensive line as well. I think the one thing I will say about the state of offensive line play in the NFL is that for front offices, it has become extremely difficult to evaluate offensive line talent coming out of, out of college, and that's because of the proliferation of the spread offense. You know, it's an offense that doesn't really work in the NFL, and it's a completely different kind of blocking scheme, and it's a very pass-heavy blocking scheme, whereas in the NFL, you've got to be able to run the football. And and a lot of these kids are in offenses that almost never run the football and certainly not out of traditional sets. 
So you get guys that come out like an Eric Flowers, and you're like, oh, yeah, he played left tackle at Miami. Boy, uh, yeah, I, I think I'll take him with a top ten pick. And he is garbage. He is, might as well be a trash can. Because a trash can actually honestly would probably block people better than he does. I'm going to be envisioning that the next time I watch a Giants game, just a giant trash can. <laughs> it would be better than Eric Flowers. I mean, actual flowers would be better than Eric Flowers. Like a, a, like a field of flowers. I, it just, he, and I can tell you exactly what his problems are. Like, I can see them. I am not an, like, I'm not a coaching expert on offensive lines, but he doesn't bend well at the waist. He has bad knees. He doesn't get his hands out. He has no punch. He doesn't find, he doesn't, like, Take the block to the to the defensive end as they're coming around. Like you've got it. His kick step is awful. His ba- his feet are horrible. He has no balance. He is just. I mean, it's just on and on. His technique is so poor that I cannot believe they spent a top ten pick on this guy. Say, hey, Tom. Yeah. You remember Orlando Pace? I do. Man, do I remember him. <laughs> That guy was good. <laughs> Wasn't he a joy to watch? Well, I mean, he it was, was it's like, okay. Right Absolutely. Now, I'll tell you this. If you want your, your closest comp to Orlando Pace, it's Tyron Smith right now. Tyron Smith is a joy to watch. Uh, Joe Thomas, uh, as much as he's getting on in years now, um, he is an absolute technician and a perfect offensive tackle. Like, near perfection. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other guys. Uh Jason Peters, for most of his career, has been just absolutely amazing. Trent Williams from Washington, awesome. Laramie Tunsil is a good young guard down there in Miami, by the way. Logan Mankins, one of my favorite offensive linemen of all time. Absolutely love that guy. There's, there's been guys, dude, uh, uh, Sean O'Hara from the New York Giants. What a good offensive lineman. Oh, my God. David Deal, another one. Those, off, those two teams that won the Super Bowl, a lot, of, a lot of things are put on the defense. The defense was great, blah, 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 blah. Eli was carried by the defense. He was also carried by really, really good offensive line both years. They played excellent both years. And, and it's just not that way anymore. You remember a guy named Jumbo Elliott? That guy was good. <laughs> okay. There's, I, I just love offensive line play. Oh, it's so great. And, and it's just such a shame that there's so much Bad offensive line play this year in particular. It makes me sad. I don't like it. All right, guys. Uh, hopefully, uh, look, there's still some great offensive line. Like, I'll tell you this. Denver's offensive line against Dallas last week, they weren't great, but they were okay. They, you look like and, – and they lost Garrett Bowles, but it looks like he may come back sooner than later. But he looks like a good young offensive lineman. Um, I'm – Oakland's offensive line. If you want to watch another good offensive line, everyone's going to tell you Dallas. And certainly I tell you, they are the most talented offensive line in the league. But Oakland's offensive line is very, very good. They are very good. And if you get a chance to watch them, just kind of try to key in on the offensive line sometimes and just see what they're doing out there. It's, a, it's amazing. The way that Dallas's offensive line works together, the way that Oakland's offensive line works as a unit, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. All right, so what we'll do now, we've got about 45 minutes left in the show. We're going to take another break, uh, and then when we come back, we'll talk about the Mellow Trade, and then we'll each get a final thought in. That should probably take a while, because I think we'll delve into this Mellow Trade and what it means for the NBA and what the whole NBA offseason has meant thus far and how this ties in with all that. But 
So last night, last break, we played Ain't No Fun at the Homies Can't Have One. This song is probably the exact opposite of that song. This is Jay-Z and Beyonce from back in 2003. It's called 03, Bonnie and Clyde. You familiar with this one, Mike? You ready, B? Go get them. Look for me, young B, cruising down the west side highway, doing what we like to do. if I didn't say that uh, that was kind of an homage to a Tupac song, Me and My Girlfriend. 
what a good tune that was as well. Of course, Tupac, super great. How great is Jay-Z, though? I mean, pretty good. Yeah, and he Excuse doesn't me. let you forget it when, when he's rapping either. He, he doesn't let you forget it when he's rapping. 90% of the no. parts are him talking about So. Yeah, it's kind of true of a lot of rappers, though. I mean, I, I would say Eminem's probably the biggest uh, exception to that rule because he more, more, he's more likely to tell you how much of a how awful of a person he is and how much he sucks. And I, I masturbate a lot. I don't know. I mean, that's who Eminem is. But a lot of a lot of rappers are you know a lot of rap is really about how great I am and look at all my money, look at all my you know what I mean. That's pretty common, I think. All right, anyway, uh, Brooklyn Zone, Jay-Z and, and, his, and his girlfriend. She and his girlfriend, El Mordo. The two of them had courtside seats, and when they walked into the garden, it was like the king and the queen arrived, man. It was crazy how um, – and I actually saw a game in Brooklyn. It was the same thing there at the Nets Arena. Yeah. Like, they are absolutely they, they, the king and queen of New York City. Yeah, no question. Yeah, and and like it's like it's like the president and first lady. It's it's crazy. They're they're more popular than those guys. So I mean, well, certainly this this current certainly this not. Current, <laughs> my That's God. So I we listen. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. We are not gonna talk about the idiot in the White House who is uh, who who went out and um, gave a speech in Alabama talking about uh, Colin Kaepernick and other other NFL players and how they're sons of bitches for protesting uh, violence Yo. against people of color in this country. We're not going to talk. Everybody is seriously roasting him because he's an idiot. He is an absolute <laughs> idiot and a race baiter and an asshole. He's a complete asshole. And I wish I was the first person to call him an asshole today, but actually that was LaShawn McCoy who called him an asshole today. And he's I, right. I, he's an asshole. So anyway, what we're going to talk about instead is, well, Mike, you just mentioned how you have been to Madison Square Garden to watch Knicks games, and we all know, my, Steve and I, that you are a huge New York Knicks fan, almost as big a New York Knicks fan as you are a LeBron fan. Um these days, mostly because the Knicks are have been trashed for a while. But today they traded away uh, a guy who's been dear to Mike's heart since 03, by the way. 03, Bonnie and Clyde. Um, fellow Syracuse alum Carmelo Anthony was traded from the New York Knicks to Oklahoma City for Ennis Cantor, Doug McDermott, and a second-round draft pick. First of all, my, my first question for you is, Obviously, you're going to have mixed feelings about it, but what do you think of the trade from a New York Knicks perspective? It's hard to say, man. They weren't going to be competitive with Carmelo without making other moves. Uh, It's good that they let him go somewhere that he has a chance to compete with other guys that are, you know, top-tier players. Um, Russell Westbrook and Paul George are the two best players he's ever played with, so I'm I'm happy for Anthony. Honestly, I'm I'm excited to see him play in Oklahoma City because when he's played on teams with other good players, um, he's been really good and he passes the ball and he shares the ball and he's more engaged on defense. It's the knock on him is his effort level on defense sucks and he's a ball stopper on offense. It, it's probably tough to be the only good player on your team with NBA and to not have those traits when you're you know. Not everybody's LeBron and can just carry a bunch of bones, you know? Yeah. 
I'll say this from an Oklahoma City perspective. I, I got to tell you, the guy who won the offseason is Russell Westbrook. He went from a team that basically had no no help on that team at all, and got did he? They got to the playoffs, right? They were like the eight seed, yeah. Or the Oklahoma Thunder. City. Yeah. yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> right. And and now he's got guys he can actually feel good about passing the ball to in offensive situations. Well, the question will be, does Russell Westbrook pass the ball? That, no, no, that's what I mean. No, now, when, when he had KD there, he would pass the ball to KD. Not all the time, but he would. So last year they were the sixth seed and they lost to the Rockets in the first round, which okay. was not Made a, a bad way to go. You know, the Rockets were really good last year, so. Yeah. But Oklahoma City's done enough to make themselves somebody to talk about. Um, the question, once again, is, is it enough to compete with Golden State? I guess that's everyone's it, question right now. The answer is no, it's not. But at least you're a relevant basketball team in the West. You know what I mean? Um, now, yep. from the other point of it is, like, there was a point when I thought I really liked Ennis Cantor. And I don't know that that's the same case anymore. Oh, are you I saying, mean, like, am I excited? These guys? I just yeah. see the guys they got. It's just filler. I, I mean, I actually have more hope for the future with Doug McDermott, but I don't really think either of them is. They're not even right. a piece. In a, in a future quality roster, in my opinion. I mean, they're guys that, you know, they can take up some minutes, but they're not anybody I'm excited right. about having. Like this when Cantor was – right. But I was this just saying, just when Cantor was young and in Utah, I liked him as a player, and I just feel like he never developed to, the, to what I thought he possibly could have been. Well, he had the idiot incident where he broke his hand punching the, the chair on the, on the bench or whatever, and he didn't – come back great from that um you know there's look they had to move on from Carmelo they weren't going to win the championship in the next couple years when Carmelo was still going to be a relevant player and so I like the fact that he gets an opportunity to prove to the world that he's a top tier player so um but I think when you look at the matchup that Oklahoma City has with Golden State particularly asking Carmelo to guard Kevin Durant is not where you want to be no, I agree. I think, yeah, that's probably uh, probably the right. So, okay, so now this past off season, you've had a lot of this going on, though. So you've got uh, obviously now Carmelo joining Russell Westbrook and Paul George in Oklahoma City. You've got Golden State pretty much standing pat, but no reason to do anything major with what they what they had already assembled. Houston now has. Uh, James Harden and Chris Paul. Uh, Cleveland really hasn't done much other, I mean, other than get Isaiah Thomas, which I, I don't know how that's going to work, but it could be good, certainly good enough in the East. Um, and then you have Boston, who uh, basically dismantled their roster other than Al Horford and came back and now paired, paired uh, Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving with Horford, um, which also could be good enough in the East. None of this stuff is going to overtake Golden State, in my opinion. I think we are looking, barring injury to probably more than one player of Golden State before they would really be truly diminished to a point where you would think that some other could probably compete with them realistically. 
And we haven't talked about San Antonio, but they didn't do much either. And I don't know if I like that for them this year. I think they needed to improve. Get younger? Um, <laughs> yeah. They're pretty young, actually, now. I actually Except for Ginobili. <laughs> Keep in mind, San Antonio, if they don't lose Kawhi Leonard, there's a real chance they beat Golden State last year. Like, I don't think they were going to. But they were way ahead in game one when Kawhi Leonard got hurt. And then they lost yeah. and got just series. Now, look, I, I've said before, I think the Golden State team I saw last year is as good as any team in the history of the game. Um, but San Antonio is the one team because of coaching and pace and the way they play defense. San Antonio is the team that can give them problems. Um, and they were able to dodge Kawhi Leonard, essentially. Um, I think it, what's happened in the NBA – and what I mean is the talent all going to the Western Conference sucks. It, it's I don't know what it is, if it's just, you know, coincidental that guys have ended up trying to group together and the teams they've grouped together on have been teams in the West. My thought, just thinking West East would be people want to live in California and stuff like that. But then when you have this happening in Oklahoma City, it's not because Oklahoma City is a, you know, a resort destination that guys want to go live in when compared to some other cities. I, at least I would assume not to dump on Oklahoma city. That's what I've read. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I can see the Texas teams, you know, they, um, there's no income tax there. It's also, it's a fairly nice place to, to live normally. Uh, obviously Houston has some issues right now. Dallas is a really nice place, but they're not one of those teams that's been attracting these kind of players. Uh, San Antonio is also a beautiful city that has no state income tax. So that's there. Um, but yeah, like you said, Golden State. Um, obviously, the attraction there is the fact that they are winning uh, and winning regularly. So that's that's a big attraction. It's always a big attraction for free agents. Um, and I think LA, to a degree, is going to be an attractive place always, whether it be the Clippers or, of course, more so the Lakers. Um, and so once they become competitive again, you're going to see a lot of a lot of uh, free agents want to gravitate towards them. Um, and I, and I think it's been this way. For a while in the NBA, though, that more of your good teams were out west than in the east. I think that's been that way for quite a while, actually, probably since uh, late 90s, early 2000s, after the Jordan era when Shaq moved west and to join Kobe. Yeah, I think, it, you know, Jordan didn't have a big fight in the Eastern Conference after he off Detroit early in his career. Um, right. After that, it was all the Western Conference team in the finals that was the one that was supposed to give them the problems, you know? And they did, and they also did not, by the way. Right, of course, yeah. By and large, also did not. Um, so there, there, was a, there was a Jordan problem for the NBA, if you want to call that a problem. Uh, certainly the NBA would take that problem again if they could get it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> a problem for the NBA, for sure. So here's my thing that about the talent all moving to the West that sucks, is you've got Golden State, Houston, San Antonio um, and Oklahoma City that have to get through each other, and that should be like your final four of the NBA. And the unfortunate thing is you're only going to be able to get two of, you know, Golden State, San Antonio, Houston, and Oklahoma City in that NBA final four. And on the other side, you're going to have two teams that any one of those four teams should be, and that that includes Cleveland. Like, I don't I don't know that Cleveland's – Set themselves up for success this year. 
I, I don't either. I, I think Boston um, is going to be a good basketball team. I think they're going to be good in the East. I think they, they, you, you could make the argument that they might be the favorite in the East, although you should temper that by saying that's without ever having seen this basketball team play a game because no one has ever seen this team play at all. Well, in any by any stretch of the imagination, LeBron will carry four willing bodies across the finish line too. Um, right. I I would just say that I think you should temper your like Boston's going to be good in the East. Like they're going to be a playoff team. They're going to be top four, probably top two, maybe number one seed. But it's hard to say oh they're going to be great because you haven't seen that team play a game. So to me, you still have to think that LeBron and IT in Cleveland is the favorite to win the East. And to your point, I wouldn't pick them to, to beat Oklahoma City. And I think Oklahoma City is by far the, the weakest of the four teams you mentioned out West. So here's the thing that in addition to that, you also lost Jimmy Butler to Minnesota. So the who might be good. The young and exciting team that could be really good this year is also in the last and also right. has to deal with other four teams and isn't ready to be any of them in a playoff series, in my opinion. But in the East, that team could and get better quickly and you know find itself getting to finals in the next couple of years. I would say this. Watch out for Minnesota in the future, two to three years from now. Yeah. Agreed. Because they are just getting better. Um, yeah. All right. So uh, let's do our uh, our final thoughts. Steve, you, uh, did you did you come up with a final thought? Because you guys never you never communicate. Yeah. It's, with it's, me guys. You know, it's the end end of the end of the baseball season. Um, yeah. You know, I guess we'll get more more into it later as far as uh, I guess our predictions for uh, you know player awards and uh, our playoff predictions and so forth. But yeah, just you know. It's, it's, Kind of enjoying the winding down of the regular season. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the one thing with baseball is that the awards come out like you got the the season ends late September, early October. Then you have well, probably about a month and a half of playoffs, and then after the playoffs are over, after the World Series ends, it's like five or six weeks later before you find out who the MVP and coach of the year and rookie of the year, I mean, it's crazy, right? I mean, it's usually December that we find out who the MVP was, right? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it, that's why it's good to do the predictions right after the regular season is done before the playoffs, because then you, you know, it's like you try to, a lot of people, I guess, you know, they kind of, you know, have the playoff, they're, you know, the, the playoffs influence the, you know, their, their voting and so forth. Right, so yeah. I think that's that's and, another and part regu- of the they're, point. They're though. regular season awards, so right. I think that's part of the point, though. So, so you you've clearly you've had the vote already in September, and you're not announcing it until December. Why aren't you announcing it like during the World Series or during the second that's, round of the playoffs? <laughs> or yeah, I mean, or something like that. it. Just has never made sense to me that. Because then if, you're, if your MVP is going to be on one of these teams that's in the World Series, that's just something else to, to market your game with. You know what I mean? Can I the MVP carry his team to the World Series championship? Well, I don't know because I don't know who the MVP is because that's not, you know, that's not till December. We don't find that out yet. 
So I, I just I've always felt that was weird. Did you have you did you ever think about that before, Mike? Does that seem weird to you? Well, if it's going to be a regular season award, I'd like to see it get voted on right at the end of the regular season before the playoffs start, so that the basically. I would feel better about the award that way because the playoffs to me having happened before the award comes out sort of taints the validity of it. If, you know, you had a guy have a great season and then his team lost in the first round of the playoffs, you know, it's hard right. to remember the greatness of the season when you just got wowed by some crazy playoff run like the Cubs made last year, for example. So right. Or, let or, me know or that, yeah, that guy yeah. who wins MVP goes like one for 17 in the, in the division reason is like, oh, all right, well, that's one MVP. Jesus, he stunk up the joint. Awesome. <laughs> all right, Michael, what do you got for your final thoughts? Basically, just to say that, you know, week three of the NFL here, a couple, two small things. Week three of the NFL, to me, this is the week where you really start to get the separation, and you start to know who has a chance to be really good this year, and sort of some of those early season predictions that we made, you can kind of look at, you know, the things we said and go, huh, you know, maybe, maybe you're onto something there. For example, I, I like Detroit coming into the season. Yeah, you did more than I did. If Detroit's 3-0 after this week, you've got to, now maybe you start to talk about, yeah, you know, maybe they got something there and start to, you know, do a little analysis of what they, what they're doing right, you know, and, and maybe look at them as a team that can actually do something. And you got some basically if you're open two right now, you're in a must win week. If you're two and oh, you can really separate yourself by winning this week. And you've got a, a really nice situation in the AFC West that we all thought was gonna be a really, really good division this year. And you've got the cool situation where you've got three two and O teams in that division. Um and you know, the only ones playing each other are Kansas City and the Chargers and the Chargers are the 0-2 team in the division. So you could actually have a situation where all three of those teams, the Raiders, the Broncos, and Kansas City, are all 3-0 and after this week. And that'd be cool for the division. Actually, I almost – I think I, I predicted that to, to happen this week during the during some recreational uh, football picks. Uh, anyway, uh, also to that point, uh, all these people who um, – we're talking about the New York Giants and their potential to be a threat for the playoffs. Boy, don't you feel dumb right about now. Right. That team is hard. If you're right now, you can still change the narrative with a win this week. Yeah, I don't think – I don't see how they get a win this week. This, their, their offense has been right. so bad. And, and, sure. and it's – like they had trouble scoring touchdowns in the preseason. But that won't be – And they scored they – no, I, I mean, if they, yeah, if they were to go out and Odell were to have 250 yards and they were, because that's the only way they're going to win, by the way, is Odell has to have like a monster game for them to win. It's the only way they're going to win. Defense is good enough, but their offense is no good. Uh, but yeah, so other, to, to your point, yeah. One other thought real quick. I just wanted to kind of shout out the Syracuse football team today. They went to LSU. They lost. Uh, but they played really hard and well, and it was the type of game that Syracuse has been so poor in football for so many seasons. But I really like the coach here for the last couple of years, Dino Babers. He's really he used to have a great attitude and uh, really trying to set up a style there that can give people fits. 
And you can kind of see some of that come into light today where they played a quality opponent on the road and they gave them all they wanted. Like, they didn't get an onside kick at the end of the game, but they tried. And they were, you know, a player or two away from winning. They had a drop touchdown pass. Uh, you know, a couple, a couple different things go their way and they're winning. And that's a game that, you know, five years ago they'd go to LSU and get beat 50 to 3. I mean, so it's nice to see that. What? Yeah. I mean, it's nice to see their football team have a chance to, to do something positive. And, I, you know, not to go off too much on Syracuse football, but I know people are listening to you and I or do you yeah, care about Syracuse football. I would, I would say this. I, it would have been cool to see Syracuse beat LSU only to, only to see if Dino Beavers could possibly top his it's not their fault they didn't know speech. Yeah, that was Oh my God! Is that one of the greatest post-game locker room speeches I have ever seen? It's not their fault. They didn't know. <laughs> that was the great. Steve, did you ever see that speech? Steve, yeah, there. You're breaking up. Okay. Did you ever see the speech by Dino Babers? I can't remember no. who it was. He gives this post-game speech after they beat this opponent. And he goes off about how it's not their fault, and they didn't know. And you got to YouTube it because it's Tom, you're breaking up. I don't know what's happening with your smoked Michigan State today, thirty-eight to eighteen. Uh, but anyway, um, Dino Babers is a hell of a football coach, and I would play for Dino Babers because that guy seems like a lot of fun to play for. Um, okay, so my thought is, uh, again, a weird, it's going to be NFL. <clears throat> Pardon me. But, so, I don't know if you saw, like, your former tight end, uh, the late Aaron Hernandez. His family is filing a lawsuit against the NFL and the New England Patriots uh, on behalf of his, his orphan daughter uh, because of the, apparently, stage 3 CTE that was present in his brain upon autopsy. Um, notice they did not uh, sue the Florida Gators or uh, the NCAA, but just the NFL and, uh, and the New England Patriots. But it, so, again, I, I, I'm not for frivolous lawsuits. I don't know that a, a murderer, I don't know, whatever. You, you can say whatever you want about that part. But can you remember a league that has been in court so effing much
guy kneeled during the national anthem. That guy sat during the national anthem. Stop talking about it. If you don't want it to be a thing, don't talk about it. But the NFL ratings are down, and I, I really feel like it has a lot to do with all the goddamn litigation. And most of it, the NFL has brought upon themselves with shoddy investigations into things they shouldn't be investigating. And also with the whole uh, concussion and CTE cover-up that they had for years and years and years. And you've, you've taken a great thing, and you're starting to erode it. And if you don't see that, bad on you because you're going to kill this monster that you created that just was basically money for the last 20 years and now you're starting to diminish it. Stop it. Get your heads out of your asses and stay out of court. Baseball's never in court. The NBA's never in court. The NHL is never in court. NASCAR doesn't go to court. And here you are getting sued or suing or filing motions every other goddamn day. Stop it. It's awful. Do you guys want to chime in? I think Anybody? you covered it. Okay, good. I'm pretty passionate about it. I don't know if you noticed. I think it's I think it, I really think that that's what's turning people off. It's all the legal shit that they don't care about. Just play some fucking football. That's all I want to see you do is play football. So anyway, I think we had a good show. Did you guys, did you guys enjoy the show? That was I, good. Am I wrong? That's all I want to Shit. Just play football. I like football. I don't like. If I want to watch, like, I'll turn it on Law and Order. It's it's better than what you're doing. So we'll keep it there. It's a little early, but that's fine. I think we had a good show. Steve, did you have fun on this show? Yeah, it was great. Your Coca Cola. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, just, yeah, drinking a beer now. So. <laughs> Thanks for joining the party, dude. Um, All right, man. <laughs> Uh, Mike, did you have fun today, buddy? Of course. Was the music better for you? Yeah, you, you did all right this week. Props to you. All right, because I'm going to play another Steely Dan song in a minute here. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> all right. Uh, I want to remind you that you can follow the show on Twitter. It's at Sports Beer Show. You can also email the show, sportsbeershow at gmail.com. You can follow me. I am at Duckman for real. You can also follow Mike. He is at Bustolio123. And you can follow Steve on Instagram. He is Steve Core on there. Um, I'm, we're going to end the show soon. Cool. It didn't. Um, all right. So, Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Boys. Yeah. Hola, hola. Hola. We them boys. Hola. We them boys. Hola, hola, hola. We making noise. Hola.
Man, did you see her interior? 